so delighted that we're going to have an opportunity to have this conversation. And I'm going to ask different kinds of questions. You probably have never been asked the questions that I'm going to ask, at least some of them. So uh, here we go. We're going to have fun, though. That's, that's rule number one have fun. So I, other forms I've gone to, they've started alphabetical order. And you know, Peter always got the first question. And, Kathy always got to have the last one. It either meant everybody had answered something or whatever. So we're going to start with Kathy, since she's conveniently located here uh, at my far left. And this question, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask questions for all of y'all. And it's really to get to know you better, and not just the resume, but who you are and what you're made of. So can you describe? for us, the home and the community you grew up in. How would you describe that place? Um. <laughs> I'm getting ready to say no. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I come from an Atlanta family. My mom is from Atlanta, Georgia. I've met seven generations of my family alive because they almost all live to be 100, and they started having families pretty early. Um, but my dad was a young man from rural Georgia and joined the Air Force, so I actually traveled all over the world uh, with, my, with my family, I, coming here periodically when my dad served on duty stations without us. So sometimes where I lived was uh, khaki green, and sometimes where I lived was natural green. Um, but uh, my home was uh, wherever my dad was um, or, or wherever we had to be while we were waiting on him to get home. So you, in the traveling a lot, when, when did you first settle down in a place? Um, after I went to college at University of Georgia, and I joined the Peace Corps, so I wasn't quite ready to settle down. <laughs> um, when I uh, returned to Atlanta from the Peace Corps, the, my first job was actually managing the trolley barn. And uh, oh, wow. I know every square inch of this building, and I have counted every square foot of this floor because after events, I used to do the buffer, um, and I can put a shine on this they floor. They may call like you in tonight. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I spent about five years in Washington, D.C., sort of getting my political graduate degree, but most of my adult life has been spent here other than that. Okay. Caesar, tell us about the community and the home that you grew up in. Hopefully, you know, you, you weren't traveling all over the world, and we can pin you down on one well, no, well, style. No, I, I think that's, I, I get it. I was going to say I was like born in this place, but given the fact that you worked here, that might confuse some folks, but. Um, <laughs> yeah, it'd be really confusing, actually. <laughs> but, but no, I was born right here in Atlanta, Grady Hospital, and, and after I was born, I was taken to a little street called Whiteford Avenue, which is literally about a mile away from here, uh, and, and lived there with my grandmother and my mother and my father. My father was born in Tennessee, and after graduating from college, he came here to go to uh, the Interdenominational Theological Center, Seminary. Uh, but while he was here, he joined the police department. Uh, and so he was a police officer and he was also a minister. And my mom was born right over on Hooper Street, uh, which is right in Candela Park, and back when it was a dirt road. So the first five years of my life, I grew up uh, in a house right on Whiteford Avenue. Uh, and it was wonderful. My dad was very much involved in, 
in policing and seminary. My mom was a school teacher. Uh, so I grew up in a house where there was a teacher uh, and a preacher uh, and someone who carried a gun. So, <laughs> and so uh, growing up here on the east side really was just matched with growing up also on the west side. Uh, and I like to talk about the fact that I've grown up or, and or lived and or worked in almost every part of this city. And I grew up in a community where uh, you know, you really were protected. And in many ways, I just grew up with a really sheltered uh, life. Uh, I, I literally could go down the street and take a right and be in a cul-de-sac and play, play baseball, stick ball, until my mom said, uh, see, David, come home from like a half a mile away. Uh, and so that was the existence. And uh, just growing up in the city has been great. Kwanzaa? You, you're going to say you were born here, too, right? Yeah. <laughs> Kathy, you had a lot. <laughs> well, I just helped to make sure this building went to the neighborhood, so that was the main okay. thing. Um, you know, I was born in southwest Atlanta, southwest hospital. I was on Fairburn Road, and my parents both worked in civil rights. We lived three houses down from John Lewis pretty much most of my life um, growing up. But my parents were divorced when I was about 10, so my dad ended up living in different neighborhoods. We lived on Deal Avenue on weekends with my dad. Somerset, it's a different Somerset back then, right behind Dugan. It's a very different neighborhood in the 80s. Um, we lived on the east side, so we were all over Atlanta. But one thing about our home was we always had people over. And many of you who might have heard the story about the Kwanzaa celebration, we had one of the first Kwanzaa celebrations here in Atlanta at our home. But at the time, Kwanzaa wasn't cool. So it was mostly white people at, at the Kwanzaa, <laughs> just so you know. Uh, my dad, yeah, that, I mean, it just wasn't cool to the African-American community when I was growing up to be named Kwanzaa. Um, it, it's grown on people since that time. But you know, people like Tom Houck and Ron Zapoli, uh, Bill Eisenhower, all would be around our home, and Coretta Scott King, and you know, regular civil rights workers as well. So we didn't know who these people were. We just felt their energy and their love. And behind my house, we had a graveyard, uh, Utoy Cemetery. And that was our playground um, as kids. So we would walk up in there. And it was one of the, it's the oldest cemetery, one of the oldest cemeteries in Atlanta because it dates back to, it has Revolutionary War soldiers, it has slaves with just markers, uh, rocks, and it has uh, Confederate soldiers and then some more recent death. So we would just play back there doing almost everything you can think of except for digging up graves. <laughs> and on occasion, we would hear someone playing taps on a holiday, and we would run back home. So um, I had a rich experience growing up with nature, as well as in the streets playing sports and learning everything that boys do with my brother um, can, that you can possibly do in a neighborhood in the city. So. Keisha? Hello, and thank you for having me. If anybody is old enough to remember <coughs> good times and the Jeffersons, that's how I liken my childhood. The first... <laughs> Seven years were the Jeffersons, and then the other half was good times. Um, my, I was born in Crawford Long Hospital. My father was an entertainer by the name of Major Lance. He came to Atlanta, performed at the Royal Peacock, met my mother, never went back to Chicago. And when I was born, we lived in Collier Heights, and it was an extraordinary life. Uh, there were days I would come home from school and literally there would be luggage at the door and my mother would say, we're on our way to England for two weeks. It's like, okay, good, no school. But um, so we traveled a lot with my dad. 
And um, in fact, we moved to England at some point. We lived there about two years. And a man by the name of Elton John started playing piano in his band when we lived in England. So when we came back, my parents divorced. And my father, a few years later, actually went to prison. And that's when good times kicked in. And uh, so this extraordinary lifestyle became a very interesting life. We moved quite a bit, including to the Greenbrier area, um, Southwest Atlanta, College Park, East Point. I went to several schools in between. And then high school, one thing I said, I would go back to my friends and meet up with them in high school. And thankfully, my mother agreed. Eighth grade, I started Douglas High School. And uh, I made it. I'm here. You're here. But one thing, the one constant in my life was my grandparents, who lived on Burbank Drive off of ML King. Their family moved from Ellum Street, which is now the Bluff. And my grandfather would always tell me the story when they moved to Burbank Drive. He asked my grandmother, why would anybody want to move that far out of town? <laughs> That's a good one. All right, Peter. So I did not have the good fortune uh, and luck to be born here. Uh, I did, however, choose to move here uh, two decades ago and have chosen to stay here ever Where since. Where were you born? I was born. I was getting there. <laughs> I, was I have too many questions. <laughs> I was born outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, my mom was a, a school teacher uh, who then became very politically active and involved. She went uh, on the library board, ultimately the elected school board in our town. Uh, my father was also very uh, involved locally. Uh, he was on the township commission for a dozen years. Uh, and in addition to that, uh, I can't compete with the career of musician. He was a municipal bond attorney. Uh, so so it, it was a little bit different. Uh, but but what, what, we, what we were exposed to throughout my childhood was the importance of cities and towns and how they help people. Between my mom on the library board and the school board and my dad on the town council, uh, the dinner table conversations were all about uh, the issues that, uh, that people faced in cities and towns. And our house was uh, you know, accompanied by people, constituents coming over and, and, and talking about issues they had. Uh, and uh, I was probably one of the few 10-year-olds uh, that, that saw their dad rezone the town. And I, I knew what R4 was and C2 at 10 years old. Probably one of, the, one of the only young kids in Pennsylvania that, that my dad wanted to show me something he was really proud of uh, that he had done. And so we went to a sewage treatment plant that he'd helped finance. And, and I thought it was pretty cool, actually. It was pre-operational, so it was okay. We did a picnic there. Um, I also would say that I grew up in a house, uh, when I was about 12, we moved to a house that was over 200 years old. Uh, and we fixed it up over a series of years, more or less, and so I spent my time from 12 till, till well past college uh, working on you know, horsehair plaster repairs, which you, know, you, you have to do a little, you can't use horsehair as much these days uh, to repair the plaster, uh, and, uh, and doing wiring and things like that and enjoying a, a, a historic home. John? Well, good evening, everybody. Um, once again, John Eves. I think I have probably one of the most uh, interesting, unique backgrounds. I'm a proud product of a Jamaican who immigrated to the United States in 1913. And after he arrived, he converted to Judaism. And so I'm a third generation African American Jew. 
and uh, very unique perspective growing up in the South, uh, where it was very different for a black person to embrace the Judaic faith. In fact, my grandfather used to remark, John, you have to be careful. The KKK has two reasons to go after you, <laughs> being black and being Jewish. But it certainly gave me a, a sort of a framework in terms of identity, in terms of identifying different types of people, relating to people, uh, being able to identify the common core that all types of people have. My grandfather, who was Jamaican, as I pointed out, he always emphasized hard work, service to others, and education. And those values uh, permeated through my family with my father and my mother, and I embody those things right uh, now today in terms of my service. And so I grew up in a very, very interesting uh, home that embraced Judaism, but was also very, very connected to the black community. Um, and Maria, you're asking about the home as well as the hometown. Right. I grew up in a historic house that was built in 1929. And we had six children. And my father kept dividing rooms. And everybody got their own room, but some were the size of closets. <laughs> and everybody got their own space. He was a brick manufacturer, but he and my mother both were very interested in historic preservation. And they started Historic Augusta in Augusta, Georgia in 1965. And then my father was one of the founding members of the Georgia Trust in 1972. So when I came to Atlanta to Emory, I had already worked at the National Trust in DC. And I was very interested in preservation and needed a job, because um, I was getting a first disastrous marriage, but I didn't know it at the time. And so <laughs> underwrote that guy for five years, and he fortunately went away. Um, but at any rate, I needed a job. And so I went to talk to Leon Eplin, because my father knew him. And Leon said, Mary, there's nothing in preservation in Atlanta. So I ended up in the radio business. But I loved preservation. And I got my start going to City Hall in 1990, trying to protect my own part of the city as a historic district. And I lost after a year of work by one vote. And it made me um, unhappy. I thought it was unfair. And um, now they say we should have given her that little neighborhood vote because she would have gone right back to her neighborhood. And we never would have seen her again. But as it is, 25 years later, I'm still here. I still care about the city. I still care about preservation and the built environment. Okay. So um, this is a two-part question. Which neighborhood do you live in today? And if you had to move to another neighborhood in the city of Atlanta, Wow. Which one would it be and why? <laughs> See, I told you these were going to be fun. Uh, this is great. Right? Come on. I mean, we're getting to know the people who want oh. to be our mayor. Okay, so Mary, we're going to come back around this way, and I'm going to have you start again on this one. Hi. I live in Tuxedo Park, which is in the middle of the traffic, and so when you are going to Lenox or Phipps, and you're going from west to east, wave at me because you passed my house along with 500,000 other people every single day. Um, if I had to move in town, since we are right here in Inman Park, and Inman Park was the neighborhood that helped me in my quest in 1990, and a lady that many of y'all know, Ruth Wall, who lived right here on Hertz Street, um, Ruth was a mentor to me for a long time. Um, she was on the Urban Design Commission. So I would say I'd move to Inman Park. I'd be right here. Okay. 
All right. Now, Don? Well, I live uh, in Cascade Road off of uh, Velchi uh, Terrace in southwest Atlanta. Love that community. Uh, first got connected to that community when I was a college student at Morehouse College. Uh, very vib vibrant, very um, historical uh, as a pride of the black community. However, if I had an opportunity to live in a different part of Atlanta, it would probably be Midtown. I think Midtown is very vibrant. It is incredibly diverse. Um, it's accessible to uh, transit. It's accessible to many amenities. I think that that's sort of the face of the new Atlanta in terms of a place that's going to be more vertically um, developed than it is right now. So I would choose Midtown. Okay, Peter? So I live over by Chastain Park. Uh, I consider that uh, my neighborhood. Uh, I used to run over to Chastain Park and then run around Chastain Park a, a while ago. Uh, and, and now I walk the dogs. The dogs don't want to run anymore, so it, it, really out of consideration for them, I, I walk. Uh, and uh, I love the, the uh, Path 400, which has come up along uh, in our area. Uh, and I love the ability to, to walk around uh, the path around Chastain. If I had to live in another neighborhood, and, and all three of our kids have grown up in that area, but if I had to move, I'd move downtown. Uh, because I think downtown is the heart of Atlanta to be. Uh, and we need it to be the heart of Atlanta to be. Uh, we need the downtown environment to be vibrant. We need it to be uh, exciting. We need it to have a lot more residents. We need it to be where the density is. We have unused infrastructure or underutilized infrastructure in downtown. And I'd like to be a part of the resurgence of downtown. Note the, the use of the, the word. Okay, great. <laughs> All right. Uh, Keisha. I live off of Cascade Road in Guilford Forest neighborhood. If I moved, I would move to the Hunter Hills neighborhood to my grandparents' home on Burbank Drive. It's uh, full of so many memories for me, so many wonderful memories. And the Beltline is one block down, West Side Trail, and I have Beltline in the so I want to be able to walk out the door and get on the belt line, and I want my kids to be able to experience that as well. And I can get downtown in three minutes, as my grandfather used to call it. I can get uptown in three minutes. So it is um, just an amazing place, and many of the original owners still live. The original families are still on the street. Okay. Conza? Okay. Well, Natalie and I live in Old Fourth Ward at the end of Auburn and Gasparro Street by the Water Tower. And we've been there for 15 years. I would say, uh, as mayor, more than likely, I would want to do the same type of pioneering work we've done in the Old Fourth Ward on the west side. I would probably want to move somewhere like the Bluff or English Avenue and go house by house, block by block, street by street, and revitalize, just like we've done over here. Everything else is kind of easy. That's where the work needs to be done. Okay. Okay. I hear that, okay. Um, <laughs> well, for me, it's kind of complicated, quite frankly, because any <laughs> decision about where I live has got to be run by the chairman of the board, which is my wife. <laughs> uh, and okay, the, and your wife's not running for mayor. This yeah. is about you. Where do you want to live? I know, but you asked me where I want to live. Yeah. <laughs> Not where the mayor wants to live when I'm mayor. I'm still going to have to go to the chairman of the board with my wife. You know, but I was, I was, as I said, born right over on Whiteford Avenue and uh, grew up in southwest Atlanta. And I've lived downtown. I've lived down in the Muses building, 
uh, when it was just converted right after the Olympics. And it was a wonderful experience. And it's been great to see how downtown has evolved. It's got a long way to go. Uh, right now, we live in historic West End. Been there 20 years, renovated an old historic home in the historic district, and I love it. Uh, Keisha's on the Beltline. And, uh, and that's one of the greatest things uh, about being in West End right now is that there's this energy uh, that's coming to West End uh, that's supported by what's happening with the Beltline, our proximity to down, downtown, and Streets Alive. If you have not been to Streets Alive in the West End, I hope to see you in a couple of weeks. It's Sunday. wonderful. Sunday. 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 <laughs> Sunday. This coming Sunday. What, what week is this? <laughs> what well, party at your house. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, you'll see me with my little red wagon going down the middle of Ralph David Abernathy. Uh, so I love West End. And, but if, 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 if um, given the choice to think of some other places to live, uh, there are a couple of places. Um, uh, my wife really likes Sherwood Forest. Uh, and, and she likes Sherwood Forest because the homes uh, are simple, uh, but they're in Midtown, and you can see the built environment uh, amongst trees from this neighborhood. The other thing about this neighborhood is that it actually has only one or two ways to get in. So that kind of <laughs> goes back to uh, how she grew up and in many ways how I grew up. So that's uh, where she would want to live. And uh, for me, uh, it probably would be somewhere along uh, Benjamin Mays Drive. Uh, over in southwest Atlanta, uh, where you have these incredible lots, ranch homes with great potential. Uh, and, I, and I think that's just a wonderful part of town. It's really like going back home, but it's really a wonderful part of town. When it's all said and done, of course, the chairman of the board uh, will probably have the last say. <laughs> well, maybe she'll let you just stay right at West End. I mean, that's this where is all hot to Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and Kathy. I've already told you I grew up in a military family, so I have about a, every four years, I need to look for a new place to live. That's, that's just what we do. I, need, I just need a fresh view out the window. But I have a chairman of the board who doesn't think that that's much of an idea, so we have had more longevity as I've gotten older because uh, we, she doesn't like to move. Um, I spent most of my misspent youth in Candler Park in Lake Clare. I don't think I did too much damage, but I always loved the place. Um, after I left office, I needed a new kitchen in my house, and they were building them in Glenwood Park. So 12 years ago, we uh, bought a house that had a new kitchen in it. Um, and I've been living in Glenwood Park, and we thought that was great because most of y'all probably know my involvement in the Beltline, so I was like, I'm going to be right on it. And I go down to Bill Kennedy every couple of weeks and just kind of look left and right to see if it's gotten there yet, and I'm still waiting, um, which is one of the reasons I'm running for mayor is to speed that thing up a little bit. But <laughs> if I don't get to be mayor, I move into Adair Park because I've uh, long had plans to, to live in that neighborhood, and the Beltline's already there. So, um, and then four years after that, I don't know where almost, we're going. Almost, it's coming. <laughs> it's close <laughs> enough. <laughs> Close enough, close <laughs> enough. Um, the, we're going to get into some of the built environment questions now. And uh, we'll do this again. We'll do this, start with you, Kathy. Okay. What is your favorite building in Atlanta? Wow, other than this one? Um, <laughs> well, you can say this one. I mean, this one is a pretty great building. Uh, you know, this, this really reflects our, our you know, heritage as a railroad city. I, I neglected to say that my great-grandfather 
um, built a log home in Decatur that's across from the Scottish Rite. The old Scottish Rite used to be called the Crippled Children's Home, right? And, and um, you can see it if you go there and you look right across the street. That Their first house was actually the Victorian to the right, but the log house is the one I grew up um, hanging out in. Um, but but the, the, the tide of the railroad is really important to me because my great-grandfather walked the railroad from Decatur downtown every single day to check to check the rail. And the streetcar used to come in here through those doors and would come over this floor and there was a pit underneath, which is where they would do the work and then send it back out. So, you know, there's lots of buildings I love um, in the city of Atlanta, but I've spent probably more time in this one than any of them, so I'll say this one. Okay. We picked the right place for you, don't we? <laughs> you did, man. <laughs> you are right in my history, right here. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's um, uh, the SunTrust building downtown, uh, and it's for probably an odd reason. I mean, growing up, I used to have little, you know, you had those little blocks. I used to build little cities with these blocks, and they were blue blocks and green blocks, and, and I would always like to build the ones with the skyscrapers, and I've always been a fan of skyscrapers. Uh, 303, 303 Peach Street is, is, is really interesting to me for two reasons. Number one, uh, it reminds me of the movie Logan's Run. You know, you had kind of, well, maybe I'm dating myself a little bit, but, um, but again, it kind of reminds me of that architecture, kind of brick and glass and the like, and kind of this inside atmosphere with plants growing and the ability to move in this atrium kind of feeling, uh, atrium style kind of uh, setting. Uh, the second reason I like it is because it, it really was, it's, it's really a symbol of something I think is really uh, unique about one of my favorite people, and that's John Portman. Uh, it's really where art and architecture kind of meet. Uh, so you see this beautiful building, in my opinion, uh, that really is in some ways a work of art, but really inside you've got sculpture uh, that was actually done. And outside. Yeah, and outside, but actually done by the person who actually built the building. John Portman. Uh, and so whenever I go into that building, uh, I'm always inspired. Uh, and it reminds me of that connection between art and architecture. Okay. Quantum? Well, I mean, I do love Mr. Portman's work. I'll say I probably on the modern side prefer where Gerald's going, JPX, and what they're planning to do on Peachtree Street. I like that kind of style. Far more pushing into the future, more modern, like New York type of style. Um, really dense stuff. Um, but then in terms of just buildings I love and places I want to focus on as mayor, it would be the castle on 15th Street. Hmm. I think it's still the test of time. There are a lot of stories about how Atlanta has really underloved our history. It was called the Peace Castle. So it has a lot of history to it that we really should be honoring. Um, that was the hunk of junk. Yeah, the hunk of that junk. That's right. I mean, that's something we should be honoring. <laughs> I want to help that group get that right. I think the Herndon home has been under love. I mean, we have a lot of great homes that I would like to see us put. I'm, I'm, I'm coming to another question okay. where you may want to save that answer. Sure. Okay, sure. <laughs> no, I'm just sure, I can imagine. <laughs> Keisha, your favorite building. I'm going to cheat a little bit. I have three. I'll go through them quickly. One is uh, Lenox Square Mall, not for shopping, <laughs> but because my grandmother started working there in 1959 at Davidson. And uh, she wrote. When it was an open air mall. Open air. When it was an open air mall. And uh, she never learned to drive. She 
would ride the bus every single day. She wouldn't ride the train, she'd ride the bus. And we would go and pick her up. And we would drive through all of the neighborhoods, probably past your house, Mary. And just a wonderful place, and it always makes me think of my grandmother. The second is the Westin, because I remember when it was built, and we took a trip down as a family. We got on the elevator, and we rode to the top, and we looked around, and we rode back down, and we went back home. <laughs> um, there wasn't much to do in Atlanta. I mean, I, I know. No. Same way we rode the train when it came into the station at, uh, at the airport. Um, and the third is the 191 building, because I had my wedding reception. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, cool. And it's beautiful. Yeah. All right. So for me, it's actually City Hall, uh, both the new part and the old part. Uh, the old council chambers at City Hall are really pretty cool if you haven't been in them. Uh, because I was chief operating officer of the city for a couple of years, I uh, was responsible for, for managing the building as one of many things that I did. And so I've been to all sorts of to parts of it that you may not have seen, including the very top where there's a magnificent view around the city from all these small windows that, that the public doesn't have access to because it's not really a built-out uh, room per se. It's where the uh, elevator machinery is. It also, interesting fact, has the oldest operating elevators in the city, apparently. At least, at least that's what the Otis guy told me as we were on the upper floors, which is really not when you want to hear that. But, uh, and, and, but more than the architecture of City Hall, which is great, both the new and the old and the combination, uh, it's the representation of the new and the old history of Atlanta uh, and its great leadership. But, but even more than that, it's the times I've had there. My wife uh, likes to say that the happiest she's seen me is when I've been working at City Hall at various times. And in particular, I like to do things like watching the Finance Exec Committee or watching public comment, uh, which I did a lot at City Hall uh, for, for, for various uh, reasons and at various times. So, so I have a lot of happy memories associated with that place. And John? For me, it's the uh, Hyatt Regency downtown. Um, when I came here from Jacksonville, Florida, where we idolized the Gator Bowl, um, the Hyatt Regency, sort of looking at the inner part of the facility, looking down, going up to the uh, restaurant that uh, went around, um, to me, that mesmerized me as a 14-year-old as a kid when I came up to Atlanta from Jacksonville, Florida. And it really was part of the inspiration for me to ultimately come up here as a student. And uh, so the Hyatt Regency Hotel. And I have two, real quickly, and they're both Thornton Marie. The first is the Fox Theater, because when I was a little girl in Augusta, Georgia, I would get on the Greyhound bus and come up to Atlanta, where my aunts, who lived in Peachtree Hills, would pick me up and I would go play with my cousins. And going to the Fox Theater and seeing the stars in the sky was magical. And then when we saved it, finally we saved something in this town, that was really also magical. The second one is the Randolph Lucas House. The Randolph Lucas House, as, as many of you know, was the last Peachtree Road House, or one of the last Peachtree Road Houses, at the intersection of Lindbergh and Peachtree. And it was in front of a new building and was going to be demolished. And um, this was during my involuntary separation from City Hall, so I didn't have a lot to do. So I was the docent at the Randolph Lucas House as we brought people in to see if anyone would be willing to move it and save it. And Christopher Jones and Roger Smith said that they would do that. And it was moved down Peachtree Street 
and John Whelan, who has built Museum Place, agreed to do three things. Number one, to sell these young men the land on Peachtree Circle so the house could be moved. Secondly, he would not build Museum Place until after they could move the house across the land so that they would not have to try to turn that corner on Peachtree Circle, which would have destroyed trees and electrical. It would have been awful. And third, he agreed to shore up the land. So it was a great partnership between John Whelan Homes and Roger and Christopher, and that house is on Peachtree Circle, and you must go by and see it. It looks like it has always been there, and it is a fabulous, fabulous um, house. The living room and dining room are the perfect mean, um, and the golden mean, and they are magnificent. So I can't wait for them to have a party, and I want to make sure we're all invited. <laughs> to switch things up a little bit, I'm going to start with Keisha. We'll go down that way, and then we'll start go back around Mary, and we'll end up with you. That's why everybody, I'm trying to be somewhat fair. But this one is another two-part building, two-part question. Which demolished Atlanta building would you bring back, if you could? Or, if you want to answer, if that is hard to answer, um, and you're welcome to answer both of these, which endangered building, currently endangered building, would you like to see preserved the most? I mean, which, which treasure is out there that is vulnerable, that we may lose, that you would like to see saved? So, Keisha? So, the first is uh, the birdcage, which was, uh, sits on what's now the campus of Clark Atlanta University. And I was not alive when my family lived there, but it apparently was an extraordinary place, an extraordinary work of architecture. I've, it was round, and it was white, and it was beautiful, and then they... Okay, now you're speaking to my heart, because my <laughs> father designed that. Did he really? <laughs> <laughs> yes. 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 I just, I was like, no, she couldn't have just said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He, the, he, he had this thing about curves and circles. Anyway. The University Plaza apartments. And we call them the donuts because yes. they were too. Anyway. Was the birdcage the club or the? But anyway. The birdcage was a club inside one of the donuts. Okay. See, the, it was before. I, I just remember the stories and it, they were wonderful and they had a lot of time, a, lot, a, a really good time. Um, and great memories, and it was a beautiful place, I remember that, and then they tore it down. After. Clark Atlanta yeah. tore it down, not realizing what a historic treasure <laughs> they were tearing down. Um, and the uh, answer to the second question would be Pascal Hotel, again, just because so many extraordinary memories, and I rode past there today, and it breaks my heart each time I go past and I see that it's boarded up, and this is this extraordinary place and it represents so much about what Atlanta is about uh, in terms of civil rights and community. So. Well, what they, what they call it, the breakfast table of the civil rights movement. Um, there. So, so you're Well, concerned. I mean, I know what you want. I mean, I'm going to just say it. Crum and Forster, um, <laughs> that piece on the back, I mean, if I could have done it differently and I had the power, I probably would have tried to force a saving of that piece. Um, in terms of um, the Coda building, it's going there, Georgia Tech now, for those who might not know. Um, in terms of 
those that are endangered, I listed a few, but I would say the, I guess it's the Constitution Building um, at Five Points. I think that's a really unique piece. I've always loved that building. I think there's some great things we could do with it. In every other city, buildings like that, you know, whether that's small or the size of Pond City Market, they're always used. In Atlanta, we kind of just don't have the wheel. I mean, there are a couple of buildings on Auburn Avenue as well that I've always wanted to see us preserve. The Butler Y building was really the meeting place for the African American and the broader white community when there was nowhere else to meet. Several presidents have been in 22 Butler, or I guess it's 22 Jesse Hill now. Um, it has a tremendous legacy that we should go ahead and get open. I think we're halfway there with the deal with Tabernacle uh, Live Nation. So. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, for me, I mean, Keisha took one right out of my mind. I mean, literally, right out of my head, uh, Pascal's. Um, uh, Pascal's uh, has so many memories for me, and, and the structure is still there, but it's gone. Uh, and there are no people there. The energy's not there. All the history uh, that that building and the hotel, the restaurant represents, the carousel and all that is something that uh, I dearly miss. I remember as a little boy, every day after, every Sunday after church, uh, we'd go uh, to Pascal's and we'd have uh, Sunday dinner uh, at Pascal's. And I remember just always being so mesmerized by the decor uh, because it took you back to uh, Spain, so to speak. It was that Spanish decor, the matador, and, and other things. And I just was always so fascinated by it. That's gone. Uh, and I really uh, wish and hope that we can bring it back. The other, uh, um, and it's really a campus, and that's Morris Brown. Um, you, know, um, you know, my mom graduated from Morris Brown. My grandmother graduated from Morris Brown. Uh, my uncle, aunt, cousins graduated from Morris Brown. I still have splinters in my behind from sitting uh, at the whole stadium. <laughs> Uh, at the Morris Brown Stadium, uh, and I think that is an opportunity for us. Uh, and are you talking about Fountain Hall, Games <coughs> Hall? Um, I'm talking about the entire campus. The entire campus. Uh, and there's so many buildings that have been lost, uh, and there are so many buildings that are at risk of being lost. And I think that is an incredible opportunity for us as a city. When I am mayor, we're going to save that campus and save that school. And which demolished building would you bring back if you could? Um, I'm really just lumping it all in because when I look at those buildings, they're gone. Okay. Uh, you look at the, uh, some of the structures at Morris Brown that are gone. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd want to see some of those brought back and become a living campus again. Okay. Kathy? Well, it's hard because everybody's picking the, the buildings that are my favorite, too. But I think we have enough votes to save Pascals, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think we just better get about it because that's the one I was, I was thinking about. Um, I, I, I just I feel like our civil rights heritage is getting destroyed building by building by building. And so I, but there's so many things that I could mention. I, I had the opportunity to go in the old Adair Park School when it was still part of the hostage exchange. And the roof had, <laughs> you know, had gone. And, and it was actually quite dangerous to be in there. When we were in there, somebody actually stepped through the floor because it had just rotted. But you could see just the incredible structure that was there. Yeah, it just, and it's on Catherine Street, which is a great name uh, for <laughs> Americans to have. But, um, <laughs> but uh, 
But I, I guess, you know, to, to, to pick something a little bit different, what, what I would do is bring back Friendship Baptist Church and I would take the stadium off MLK Drive. I, I, I just feel like I, I can't even look at it, that, that, we, that we put a building on top of a historic corridor, you know, the corridor where students from the historically black colleges walked to our capital and, and we put a stadium on it and, and, and tore down another essential building. And I just, I, it just breaks my heart and I, I wish it would be different. There you go. Mary. Um, terminal station. Um, I would, I would still have. Um, but uh, for what I want to see saved, and I'll give you all a quick story. Um, I have been fighting for neighborhoods and for neighborhood preservation for 25 years. And some parts of our city have been very successful, including Inman Park and becoming historic districts, and having redevelopment reoccur with more thoughtfulness. Um, the other day, I was called to a street right near where I live, and it was a beautiful home built in the 20s, former mayor of Atlanta, lived in the home, um, two-story, lovely, on several acres, beautiful wooded lot. I was called over there two weeks ago, completely denuded, absolutely not a tree on all these acres, and what is going up is 45,000 square feet single-family residence, 45,000 square feet. The neighbors called me up sick. They have a beautiful home, and it just broke my heart. And so we got the architect or designer or whatever on the phone <laughs> and said, what is going on? And we're at least going to try to have some kind of <coughs> landscaping that will give them some life back. But it just... Um, we need to update our zoning ordinance. We need to be thoughtful about what makes Atlanta special, and it is our neighborhoods, and it is our green canopy, and it is terrible when that was just a cost of doing business to wipe out acres of old-growth forest and have the FAR allow 45,000 square feet. Okay, John? Well, the building that was preserved was preserved as a result of the advocacy of the architectural community, and that's the Central Library downtown. Um, so the building was built in 1980, and in 2008, there was a referendum that passed by 76% of the voters that called for new libraries in the county, as well as potentially building a new library downtown. And we completed the first phase, and then we got to the Central Library in terms of selling the library, imploding it, or imploding the library, selling the land, and then using the proceeds to build a new library, potentially near um, the aquarium. The architectural community stood up. And I know it's unusual, but we as politicians, we listen. And we decided, after a series of public hearings, to keep the Central Library. Decided that a new win-win would be to preserve it and pump in $50 million. And we think that the, the historical significance, the architectural uniqueness of the building will be maintained, and it will become an icon um, downtown. And then related to that, about six years ago, there was a big push for the Buckhead Library to be, um, be demolished 
and a property next to it was going to acquire it or develop it and uh, make it into a, a sort of a high-rise unit. And again, the architectural community uh, stepped up, listened, and we preserved the Buckhead Library. Peter? In terms of a building to preserve that, uh, that comes to mind, there's a McDonald's. No, that's not <laughs> a different thought in my head. I'm uh, no stranger to McDonald's. So, so a, lot of, a lot of wonderful structures have been mentioned. Uh, I'm going to go back a little further in time. Uh, I was a history major in addition to being a public policy major, so I've always enjoyed looking at the old photographs of, of Atlanta. Uh, and to stick with the theme, the old city hall uh, was actually a magnificent structure. If you ever see some of the pictures of the old city halls, a brick structure, uh, about the, the, original. the original city hall, about six stories tall. And there are these pictures with bunting. It was, must have been the 4th of July or something. Uh, and there's this magnificent picture of it. Uh, and it was just, oh. just an incredible structure. We only have 10 minutes left? <laughs> huh? Oh, OK. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no, that's all right. It wasn't that dramatic a moment. You have like six pages left. I know. I know we're running Welcome out of time. Uh, so for me, the old, the old, the old city hall was one that I wish uh, we had kept in terms of ones to preserve. There's a number of buildings uh, across from the Oddfellows Odd Building on Auburn Avenue. I think the Auburn Avenue history we just have to we just have to preserve. Um, the Constitution Building uh, is another one that I think uh, needs to be preserved. Uh, and in general, we need to, as a city, identify uh, those structures uh, which are so important to our past uh, and can be important to our future if we just get the policy right, if we just figure out how to get the economics right. Yes, it can be complex. It's a complex problem. But if we just focus on it and identify the structures we want to save in a systematic way, uh, we can do it because there's a lot of interest in it. Well, um, Peter had said people are going to be bored. But are y'all bored yet? No. Oh, OK, good. OK, now, now we're going to get into some. <laughs> I said the risk was they the would be risk, the, the, the risk. based upon prior yeah, experience. Yeah, but yes. when I learned it was you moderating, <laughs> I knew that would not be the case. We're going to get into some meaty stuff. But given that we have such a short time that I can ask my questions, uh, if we can speed up answers, if that's OK. And um, this time, we'll start with Kathy will come back around this way. And um, let's see, if you're, elected, if, if you're elected mayor, would you adopt the effort launched by the Atlanta city design process that has talked about revamping the zoning ordinance? And also, it is predicting that there's going to be a, a doubling of population in the city of Atlanta. So is this an effort that we should continue on to your administration, and that question is for everyone. Absolutely. I've been attending some of the meetings and following that, and um, Ryan Gravel, who's been working on it, and I meet weekly and solve many of the problems of the city, so we're anxious to get started. But um, I think, you know, we have to plan for the growth that's coming, and, you know, we've got all kinds of plans that we've had in the city that sit on the shelf, but it, it's time to get one, stick with one. And I think this election's about community development and how we grow. And I, I think uh, that that's a good start on where we ought to be going. Okay. Answer, absolutely yes. I'm really impressed and uh, very supportive of the work of Commissioner Tim Keene and the work he's doing. Uh, what I'm also very uh, excited about is that this process that he's um, you know, started really has included the community. Uh, it's been outward facing. 
uh, and I think that's important. As mayor, that will continue. Uh, we do need to rewrite the zoning code. It's over 30 years old. Uh, the city actually is predicted, as Commissioner uh, Tim King says, to not only double but triple uh, over the next several decades, and I think we've got to be ready for that. Uh, that means more density. Uh, that means uh, having the responsibility of making sure that people can communicate uh, and live together, uh, that we can drive the economy, but at the same time preserve those things that are important to us from a historical perspective. And I think that's going to be the work uh, of the next mayor. It's good that we can drive the economy because we won't be able to drive. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And well, the, new walk, right? the future economies we won't drive. You will actually know how to get it done from where you are and within proximity to where you live and work. Absolutely, yes. We've been working on several pieces of, I guess, innovations ahead of the full rewrite. One is tiny houses and accessory dwelling units and just little pieces that we can move the ball on. I think, um, of course, we have to embrace density, but especially density around our transit nodes. That's the most important uh, tool we have is as we roll out transit, doing much denser developments there. Um, so I support everything that we've been doing so far, but it's really still a little behind. We're, we're kind of chasing the development community, and we should be ahead of the community and really setting the tone for where things can happen, how they can happen. And then the developer can decide if they want to play here or not, instead of controlling the okay. conversation. Quick answer, yes and yes. But I think the other part of the conversation is balancing the city out and making sure that there are great schools and transit and economic development in other areas of the city, so we're not all flocking to one place and space. Okay. So the, the quick answer again is, is yes and yes, uh, but with a, with a couple addendums first. Uh, the growth of doubling or tripling, I think, can happen, but it's not going to happen if we screw this up. So this is an incredibly important election. Uh, that is not preordained that this growth comes, that we, we can easily um, come off the tracks in terms of uh, allowing this growth. Uh, the rezoning of the city is an incredibly complex process. It's, it's very time consuming. Uh, it involves a lot of give and take, and frankly, some winners and losers in people's minds. And so uh, making this a reality, the rezoning of the city a reality, uh, while preserving historic structures, while working on education and mobility, uh, is really complicated. And so we have to focus on this as a community, and we have to focus on it citywide. So, uh, it's, uh, it's an incredible opportunity. It's a once-in-a-generation ger opportunity, but it is by no means a simple task. John? Well, I sit on the Atlanta Regional Commission, and uh, we are the ninth most congested uh, region in the country. And uh, there are 2.5 million cars that come in and out of Atlanta every day. And the solution to the choking that's happening right now in terms of congestion to me is greater density, uh, more vertical development, more live, work, and play communities. And so I'm supportive of the revision of the zoning process that will facilitate that. And then. And I'm a big supporter of the Atlanta Design Project. Um, for those of y'all um, who haven't gone to the face their Facebook page, it's ATL City Design. And Tim has done, Commissioner Keene and Ryan Gravel have done a great job in showing what Atlanta is and how we can embrace the core values that are uniquely Atlanta. And they have outlined the city in conservation areas for neighborhoods with a wonderful concept that we will actually preserve 
our neighborhoods and for key industrial areas. And then our development corridors will be our commercial corridors. And they have mapped it all out. And it is really, really great work. The, as you know, the city design studio has just been at Pont City Market. It is going to Cascade Heights in May. And will be over there end of April, first part of May. Um, very, very important to just go and see and, and, have, and give your input because Tim gets it. We need a planning commission in this town. We need to connect transportation to land use. We need to update the zoning code. We need to protect our tree cover and we need to do it quickly. And we need to have the mobility. We've got to get people closer to work. We've got to build out MARTA. We've got to build out the Beltline. Those are the things that we just must do and Tim is on the right track. Okay, this is going to be my last question. I would like to have the final question, though, if I could, uh, after we open it up. But this, this is the last question of this round, I guess. Um, and I'm just going to start with Mary, and we'll go all the way back. Okay. Um, what are your thoughts about strengthening the role of the Atlanta Urban Design Commission, and how can we improve the design of new buildings along the Beltline and other parts of the city? Well, I've supported the Beltline Design Review um, Commission to take a look at what would be going up on the Beltline. We took some very strong stands, including over in Reynoldstown recently, on density along the Beltline. Um, and I was very pleased that the council held that um, density where it needs to be. We, we know we want density. We've got to think through how do people get around. We've got to retrofit where we don't have the, um, where we have choked us to death. So we. Got, we've got to fix that. Okay. So that's yeah. it. And, and this Urban Design Commission? Oh, they, the Planning Commission. We need well, to have a Urban Design Commission absolutely needs to be strengthened, but their role needs to be greater in design across the city and not just historic um, areas and assets. Okay. John? Well, as I've said often tonight, um, density, density, density is important. Um, I'm supportive of greater density, more vertical development, particularly along the, belt, the, the belt line. Also sense that there is an imbalance um, in terms of development in our city. There's more development in Midtown, more development in Buckhead, but there's little development in the southern part of our city, particularly south of I-20. And so uh, I'm going to push for development that's more evenly divided or spread across uh, our city. So I, I absolutely think the Urban Design Commission needs to be strengthened. I think the first part of the, that, the first mechanism, is, is leadership from the top. You have to have a mayor that cares about preservation. You have to have a mayor that wants to follow through on the blueprint of the, the design process and the rezoning. Uh, you have to pick the right members of the commission. I think broadening their scope is an interesting idea. Uh, I also think that as we rezone the city, we have an opportunity to include the architectural community uh, more broadly in the design. Uh, I've heard about a number of cities that uh, have programs which uh, actually do public-private partnerships between the architectural community to provide uh, innovative architects the opportunity uh, to provide services, sometimes free, uh, to people planning buildings uh, in the city. We need to get more creativity in this town, and we need to include the architectural community more as part of that. I think the most important part is educating communities who don't know what they don't know. And as we talk about the Beltline and we talk about the Urban Design Commission, there's still room, because I can go into 
in the areas that people don't even know what the Beltline is. They don't know what the Urban Design Commission is. And so you have to give, reason, give people a reason to care. And so if, particularly if you're on the west side, and we're talking about the Beltline coming through the west side, well, if I'm struggling to put food on my table, I can't get to caring about a building, quite frankly. But let me know why I should care. And I think that that is a community-by-community community engagement piece, and I think it's all about education um, and making people know that it matters to them, too. And the Urban Design Commission, do you believe in strengthening that? Yes, I do. <coughs> yes to the Urban Design Commission. This year, I guess it was five out of the seven awards. For the last few years, we've worked very closely with neighborhoods to make sure that urban design in District 2 is generally in the direction that it should be going in. Uh, as far as the Beltline, and you know, I've been on the side of fighting against the Beltline uh, most recently, just around the corner on the Gumby site, and we should not be in that posture. But when the wheels of your clients, in many cases, get turning, and you know sometimes we're fighting each other in these conversations, uh, they can push the envelope and get us in a posture where none of us are happy with the projects that are being presented. And how do we allow that to happen? One week is your company, the next week is another company. We've got to kind of change the moral compass inside of all of the community. Because I don't think it's just, I don't think the, I mean, and this is no knock, I'm a former board member with AIA Atlanta, but sometimes, you know, the dollars speak more here than anything else, and the powerful uh, make the decisions before we even get a chance to have the conversation. Uh, Keisha does raise a good point about educating the rest of the city. Um, in some communities, we have first world problems. Uh, as we go further west and south, um, you have real bread and butter issues that people are dealing with, and there's no CDC, there's no team, there's no neighborhood association that has $200,000 in the legal budget. You don't have that. So when projects come, they either run over the neighborhood, the neighborhood's like, yes, we want something, even if it's out of lock step with the urban design ideas that we're thinking we deserve in our city. So we've got to do a lot to balance things out. Um, but I do support strengthening the Urban Design Commission. Well, I live in a community that's subject to the Urban Design Commission. So if it's good for me, it's good for everybody. Uh, and so, you know, but being very serious about it, uh, yes, I think we've got to make sure that the Urban Design Commission has the ability not only, and I, I was really interested in what Mary said, to not only address uh, what's happening in our historic district uh, districts, but also uh, what's happening beyond the historic buildings that we've identified and really the entire city, because Atlanta uh, is not so much uh, a young city anymore. Uh, we are in many ways a historic city, uh, and many places around our city are historic, and we need to look at it in a holistic fashion. Uh, you know, the Beltline, um, you know, living in West... Design standards. It's really, should we have higher design standards for the whole city? Uh, but that issue has yes. kind of surfaced with the Beltline. Um, well, I think the Beltline as a project and as, and as an entity uh, really represents kind of this, this, what I would call the yin and yang of our city. Uh, and I think it's going to cause us and challenge us to really uh, approach what we do whether it's development uh, or whether it's design from a, from a standpoint of balance uh, and a standpoint of being open and a standpoint of ensuring that there's community in input and understanding uh, of both design and development. And so I think the Beltline in many ways becomes uh, an incredible, and it, it remains an incredible uh, Petri dish basically for these <laughs> concepts about how we can live together 
and understand design and construction in neighborhoods. Kathy, I know you have feelings. Yeah, I was going to say, it's time to unleash the beast. Thank you for that. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I um, started working on the Belt Line 17 years ago because I thought that that plan represented the way we ought to grow, that we should put transit out of traffic and orient density around a, a transportation corridor. Um, there were a lot of reasons for that, and, and I still think that that's the right way for us to grow. I, I didn't necessarily have plans to ever run for office again. I enjoyed my time and my service. But when I saw the lack of quality of design on the Beltline and in other parts of the city, not just on the Beltline, but when the Beltline stopped looking like something that would create connections across the Beltline and instead became more like the Great Wall of uh, the Beltline with five-story stick-built buildings with as many wraps as you could put on it to somehow cover the fact that it's not very interesting, um, I decided to get involved uh, further. I started thinking about um, running for office. I, I think we have to ask people to bring their best product to this city. I don't think we should be shy about it. I don't think we should be timid about it. I think we should insist on it. Um, and especially when we're doing projects that have world-class significance, which doesn't happen very often in Atlanta, Georgia, we have to insist on it. Because the, the option is, if we don't, is that we're going to have to wait another lifetime, and I sure won't be here to see it, before we can tear it all down and, and start over to get it right. So if we're going to triple the size of our city, it, it starts with insisting on that. Um, you look at Midtown, we've built, you know, what, 20,000 new units scheduled to be built. Not one square inch of public space is being built in conjunction with that. That is ridiculous for a major city to even, even think that people can get away with that. And we just have to change the way we do business. In, in your community, this community that's here tonight is, is integral in that. Y'all know what the best product looks like. Y'all know how to do it. And you've been real leaders in educating public officials like me. And, and I applaud you for that. And I, I thank you for giving us the insight to that. And um, you know, that's our next hope, right? We're going to be a world-class city if we get it right, right this minute or we're just not going to be. Uh, um, I do have a lot more questions. I'll throw out like just about green buildings, affordable housing, about what you would do with the Civic Center, all these things. Hopefully some of y'all will ask these questions. <laughs> <laughs> Leading the witness. Leading the witness. <laughs> so, uh, who would who has a question? Yes, Maria, and I'll repeat Maria, one it. moment. Those who have questions, if you would queue up here. Okay. Um, we'll queue up and have questions one at a time, and then Maria. And we'll if you let could you. introduce yourselves. All right. Uh, I would like to start. Just um, we had asked for our audience uh, via Facebook at AI Atlanta questions to ask the panelists. Uh, this question has come from Kevin Keith. Uh, he asks. What changes to the city's overall zoning code would you recommend to both encourage continued development while ensuring affordable housing for service workers and other middle to low income households? Okay. So is this, do we want everybody to answer every question? Yeah. I'm just looking at this line and I know, <laughs> yeah. I know that we have uh, a, I mean, and we'll let you, yeah, you as moderator, you. Yeah, we have a huh? Okay, we'll try and keep it somewhat balanced. So one of the things I don't think we've ever explored is, um, for me coming from county government, is the role of the tax assessor. 
you can identify certain communities as transitioning communities. Let's say southeast Atlanta or maybe parts of southwest Atlanta. And you can, uh, when you designate it as a, as a transitioning community, there's a way if you fall below a certain threshold that you can actually have your, your property um, rates frozen. So that's not a reason why you are forced out of your house. And so I'm a proponent of identifying certain areas of our, of our city as a transitioning community so that people who are economically challenged, they won't lose their house because of taxes that are rising. Okay. Uh, anyone else want to jump in? Um, I'll just add tiny houses, micro houses. There's a lot of room in that. That's the missing middle for our city, especially dwelling units. Um, R5 lot, we're working on that, but it hasn't gotten all the way over the finish line. But I think that's carriage big. Carriage houses or yeah. garage apartments. Yeah. Carriage houses. Yeah, and I, I just would add on, on the affordable housing piece, there are a lot of tools that we have from community land trusts to housing opportunity bonds. Uh, we're going to need all those tools. It's, it's a hard problem to solve, but we have to move on affordable housing throughout the city. And I think we have an opportunity to do that in a two-step process. Uh, there are many parts of our city where you can see a home a uh, house, rather, uh, that is boarded, vacant, dilapidated, a, a vacant lot overgrown next to it. We have an incredible opportunity to eliminate blight and create affordable housing for families uh, in one fell swoop, uh, and that's what we can do. And we have to get people closer to where they work. We've got to get, we've got a lot of inventory in Midtown, <coughs> in Buckhead, in downtown, that we need to have people who work there be able to have subsidized units. So not just build new for affordability, but to have people have existing subsidized units near where they work. All right, two things I got to get into. <laughs> so if you, if you go to the Atlanta Business Chronicle online on Friday, I, I laid out how we can build transit, a 40-mile transit uh, system here in about half the time in about eight years. And I think when we talk about reducing parking requirements so we can help build some affordable units through that, that reduction in cost, um, really the only way we can logically do that is if we can build out transit at the same time, right? So that people have real options for giving up cars, not just finding other places to park them. So um, I think we need to do that. And I think we need to think about housing as a, as a life continuum and an income continuum. So we're talking about housing for homeless people and, and young people out of college and seniors aging in place and, and an array of affordability and, and family sizes. And we can't forget that. And we kind of have to balance it out across the city. So in, in Buckhead, we need you know, certain kinds of housing that doesn't exist. And in neighborhoods where maybe there's a lot of affordable housing, maybe you need a different kind of mix. So I think we need to think holistically about that. Keisha, you're the only one that didn't weigh in. I, I don't want you to, get, or do you want to wait for the next question? No, I'll, I'll, I'll just say two things. I think that we need to look at having, with every new development, a designation of public green space with each new development. And the second thing, displacement-free zones, uh, which I introduced that legislation. We just rolled out the first one um, with guarding affordable housing incentives so people aren't pushed out. We want to try to get through all the questions, so we're going to ask each person in line to pick one person they'd like okay. to answer the question. Good, yeah, because be obviously I'm not um, very we're good. Trying to get all those <laughs> it's see how you guys feel lucky and see what you draw tonight. So we're going to go through one of you. Okay. Hey, Andrew Stein with Independent Park. My question is about smart cities. Um, tremendous potential. Uh, potentially, 
are very, very cheap. Um, I'm going to pick Peter. What would you do uh, uh, as mayor in smart cities? So uh, smart cities obviously refers to the, the use of sensors and data and technology to improve livability. Uh, there's a whole series of things we need to do in the city of Atlanta. Uh, we need to understand and centrally control the traffic in the city. Uh, if we've learned nothing from the past few weeks, it's that we need more control over our traffic. Uh, the, the next wave of opportunity is to have central control over traffic lights, uh, have it be controlled from a, uh, effectively a linear program. Uh, we need to use uh, technology, though, not just for, for automobiles, but we need to integrate transit. Uh, you look at some of the experiments in other cities with smaller buses, uh, circulating in the neighborhoods to do the last mile, think English Avenue and Vine City, think Buckhead, and think about them being summoned by an Uber-like app. Uh, the integration of technology, uh, the individual portable technology, uh, like Waze, with staggered work schedules, uh, with the traffic sensors, so that you put in where you are and when you'd like to leave, and, and we work with some number of companies uh, to come up with flexible work windows and then you're guided as to when to leave that's optimal from you based upon the data. Okay. Your question. Hi there. Um, my name is Clara Kwan. I'm a landscape architect. And um, I would love to ask you all sorts of questions about ecology and stuff like that. Oh, no. But I actually have a question kind of coming out of left field within this context. Um, I'm a Canadian citizen. My husband and I moved here from Toronto two years ago because of the Beltline. We saw, we read about the Beltline in the New York Times four years ago. We thought it was a really cool project. And as a real estate investor, we want to move here and, and invest and live here. And we think this is a really beautiful city. As a Canadian citizen, however, I'm, I can't vote in this election. So I, I feel very, um, I, I sympathize with a lot of immigrant populations who have even less power uh, in this country. And your so question is? And my for question who? is, um, uh, what would you do as mayor? I'm sorry, I don't know so whoever draws their hand first, um, to help protect immigrant populations in Atlanta. It's a growing city. You're, there's going to be more immigrants from around the world. What would you do to protect who, the immigrant who wants population? To, John will take that one. Well, so there's a sort of a nebulous term called sanctuary cities, um, where it basically means that you're a safe haven for people who are in the immigrant population, and, and especially those who are undocumented. Um, the Trump administration has threatened that any jurisdiction that declares itself as a, as a sanctuary city um, is going to be, can't receive federal dollars. I think there's a way that you can still be supportive of the immigrant community in terms of um, letting the police force know that they should not be aggressive in terms of potentially racial, racially profiling, um, which Fulton County has done over the past several years. And uh, so I think, you know, there's a way that you can be, have an outreach, support the immigrant, immigrant uh, population, uh, work with them, point them to services, um, interface with them um, without getting into the situation of declaring yourself a sanctuary city and potentially losing uh, federal dollars. So there's a way that you can be supportive without designating yourself as a sanctuary city. Okay. Yes. Good evening. Um, I was actually curious by a show of hands, how many of you use public transit every day? Not one. Not every right day. Now, every well, right day. now Not I do. <laughs> Sorry, I was just trying to figure it out considering we've heard lots of plans for uh, development and public transportation. So, thank you. I don't have close 
Hi, my name is Lauren Welch. I'm actually a candidate for District 2 City Council, but I'm asking this question as a neighborhood person. I've spent more than 10 years working in the neighborhood organizations at the MCU level, and recently we've watched several projects within the city that have either been contentious or have been approved by the city without the neighborhood support. It seems that the process of community engagement is not only backwards, but potentially just a check mark to say, yes, we did that. Uh, Mike, I will direct this question to Kathy. How would you specifically change that community engagement process to make sure there is true involvement and education in how a, uh, how a project is, uh, ends up, instead of having the discussion behind closed doors, which is what we see a lot of right mm -hmm. now? Well, I, th I think, thanks for the question. I think that, um, you know, our NPU system and neighborhood association system is, is a really unique legacy of the city of Atlanta from Maynard Jackson's administration. And I think at a, for a time, it was really in some ways the, the envy of the nation. And, and certainly as a, a former city council member, I always appreciated having things resolved at the community level so that we didn't you know, kind of resolve it in a, in a vote. You know, like, okay, let's just throw it out here and see what we're gonna do. Um, I, I think that um, as we've moved into this era that we're in, we need to think, we need to kind of redraft the, the MPU system for a modern age for a couple of reasons. One, I mean, traffic being one of them, right? Not everybody has the, the time or capacity to attend meetings after meetings after meetings. So we've got to have the use of technology so people can weigh in from their homes or work or wherever they want to. But also keep in mind that the community aspect of people coming together to have discussions and the fact, quite frankly, that there are people who don't use technology or, or just want that, that sense of community when they have them. So we have to kind of uh, have capacity for both and we have to make sure that every MPU has the same rules. It shouldn't be that you live in one neighborhood and you can vote whenever there's an issue you're concerned about and you live in another neighborhood and you have to have gone to three meetings and you know said the rosary or whatever it is you do to get in there. Um, and so, so support reforming the MPU so system. So we have to re reform the MPU system to do that. And then I think you know having a much closer liaison from the planning department into neighborhood associations in, into the MPU and, and much stronger guidance about the legal circumstances that would guide a decision and then the feedback back about what the community actually wants. And, and then you always still have to try to have that balance because obviously there's a legal framework. And, and when we redo our zoning and do some of the other things, strengthen the UDC, I think, I think we'll see that even out a little bit more. Okay, Angel? My name is Angel Poventude. I live in the Adair Park neighborhood. And I, I'm gonna brag for just a second and mention that in the last 24 hours, uh, I've biked 15 miles, I've driven my car, or I'm sorry, I've driven my car 15 miles, biked 30 miles, I've driven a freight train 80 miles. All right. Um, my question is, you know, we need multiple ways to get around town. And uh, the show of hands was a great way to do that. So do you own a bike and have you ridden it in the last month? <laughs> all right, so just, if you could answer that, if you own a bike. Okay, if you okay, just, all right. So Kathy, do you own a bike? I own a bike. I haven't ridden it in the last month because a pollen bomb exploded in my throat and I have not been able to talk for three weeks, but um, I rode it to the Transformation Alliance meeting. That was probably the last okay. time I rode it for an actual meeting purpose. Caesar? Yeah, I have a bike, but I haven't ridden it in a long time. I, I've been on our, our we, I did recently a, a commute from my house to City Hall and then 
as we launched the uh, bike share program. I'm a yes and a yes. I'm a pretty avid cyclist. This is a bad time. Though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, I own a lovely bike. No, I have not ridden it in the last month because I don't have the connectivity in our community that we need for me to have a safe track outside of my street. Uh, yes, I have a bike. Uh, yes, I've ridden it uh, in the last month. Uh, I have noticed, though, the hills are steeper for some reason than they were previously. And so I'm a big believer in e-bikes, and e-bikes, uh, battery assist bikes, is part of the bike share program. Uh, we're a hilly place. No, I don't have to buy it. And I don't ride a bicycle anymore because I'm spectacularly uncoordinated, and I don't want to wipe out a four-year-old who can ride a bicycle better than I can. <laughs> okay. My name is uh, Patrick Chopson, and uh, I was just curious, uh, or Peter, um, would, would you support bringing back the uh, Green Building Code or any aspects of sustainability back into the Building Code? Yes, I think that there's yeah. a, a number of the parts of the code that we need to look at and bring back. You'd have to give me specifics about which one you want to talk about, because there were a lot of elements of the Green Building Code. But I, I guess there was a draft version. That okay, was so. So, so this is this is a in my mind a win-win. If we can save, uh, if we can save energy as a city, if we can have individuals save energy, uh, it helps. It's, it helps in affordability. It helps in, in affordability of the city. It helps the environment. Uh, there's great return on investment of a lot of this technology, whether it's low-flow toilets or solar-ready roofs or uh, uh, you know just simply the color of the roof, the white roofing. I mean, it, 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 it drops the energy load on the house significantly. The orientation of the house. Uh, within certain limits. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do with small tweaks that drop your, your energy. Can burden. we get a show of hands of which one of y'all do support more green building standards? Okay. Thank you. Uh, I'm Tom Sayer. My question follows on uh, to that one, really, uh, for Kwanzaa. Uh, what would you have the city do in light of global climate change? Well, I just introduced legislation on Monday <laughs> <laughs> to uh, be 100% clean energy by 2035. And that is 2025 for city buildings and 2035 for the city uh, overall. I think it'll create jobs, it'll definitely work on air quality, water. Um, we're moving in the right direction. We've done a lot of the right things. Of course, Mayor Reed and uh, several others went to COP21. I was supposed to be there, but I couldn't make the trip last year, but um, you know, we're, we're doing it right, but we could double down and we need help of the, the building, the development community to be a partner uh, even stronger. The big pushback is it costs too much, you know. So um, I think we're going in the right direction, better building challenge as well. Maria, this will be our last question for the evening. Okay. Yeah. Hello, Except I is... have the last last. <laughs> <laughs> the last one, that's okay. Um, hello, my name is Alon Mitchell. Um, as a student going off to college next year, what are your plans specifically to Mr. Cesar Mitchell to make Atlanta appealing to post, the post-millennial generation um, for like public transportation, housing, and maybe other services? What you said, public transportation, housing, and what else? Um, and roads. Well, first of all, we've got to make sure our roads are passable and they're paved. Uh, <laughs> number one. Uh, number, number two, we've got to think about uh, transportation and transit uh, even outside the box. 
so first of all, we've got to continue to, to uh, complete the streetcar, connect it to the Beltline, get the Beltline transit done and connect it to MARTA, and hand all of that over to MARTA to run. Uh, the city of Atlanta is not a transit agency, and I think that's something uh, that, 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 you know, a young person or a senior citizen uh, can agree with. Uh, the other thing we got to do is, is really uh, leverage all of the energy uh, and innovation that your generation is going to, to bring and some of the expectations you're going to have. And, and really, what does that mean? We've got to think about how we can provide access and mobility beyond transportation, roads, and transit. And that means making sure that you can live in proximity uh, to where you work. Uh, it also means that uh, where you work may not be necessarily in the business center, but it may be in an area of town uh, where you can actually see and have the kinds of commercial and retail development that supports your entrepreneurship. And I think that's extremely important. It also means we've got to, and this is an incredible moment for us to do this now, we've got to double down on creating kind of what I call this uh, more holistic and longer work day. And not for individuals, but for this community. And what that really means is, why are we not exploring in a very aggressive fashion uh, flex hours now? Uh, we have a great opportunity to do it now, to at least experiment, it, experiment with it now. So, you know, we may have a whole shift of folks going to work at 7 in the morning, then at 8 in the morning, 9 and then 10. Uh, you extend the work day and you increase opportunities, uh, economic opportunities, job opportunities uh, for an entire community. Uh, and we certainly have got to make the case uh, that if you're a young person graduating from high school now, going off to college, uh, that you can come back from college and find opportunity uh, in this city. When I'm mayor, you will be able to do that. So what we have heard tonight is pretty <coughs> extraordinary. I think every one of the candidates uh, made a commitment to preservation and having a stronger urban design commission, having uh, stronger design standards. Uh, they also signed on unanimously to the Atlanta City Design Project and a lot of the standards and revamping or improving the zoning ordinance. Uh, all of these were very, and they all endorsed green buildings, greater green building standards. Um, so we have some hope here with, with our, uh, <laughs> our potential future mayors here. I'm going to end with this last question, and it's one that is more a visionary, and you know, and, and we'll start with Kathy, and we'll try and do this quickly because we've kept y'all a long time, and y'all might start getting bored. Um, but what, in your mind, makes Atlanta special, and how can we create that in our vision for the future? Oh my goodness, that's a complicated question. Um, but answer it. In. You know, well, I, I'm just going to, I'm going to, there's so many things that make Atlanta special to me, but I'm, I'm going to say our trees. You know, we are a city in a forest. Um, as, as Mary said, we, you know, we see developments coming along where, you know, folks would rather chop a tree down and take the penalty than, you know, bother thinking about a different way to do things. Um, you know, protecting our tree canopy is more than just sort of, you know, keeping it cool in the summertime, but it's, it's bringing fresh air. It, it, it gives kids the opportunity to, to be in nature. Um, you know, I, I think this is a unique thing. Some of these trees are reaching the end of their lifespan, and, and we've got to be very, very aggressive about ensuring future generations get to experience what we have here. The most special thing about our city uh, really is in this room, and that's people. Uh, what makes us 
really a unique, a unique place uh, is that uh, Atlanta is a mosaic of opportunity and a mosaic of people. Uh, there is something in this city for everyone. Uh, there are folks that come from all over the, the world and around the country to this city, and they don't really know much about Atlanta. They don't even know if they want to stay. But if you find them two or three years later and you ask them if they're going to stay here, uh, they're going to say yes. And they say yes uh, because they found something here that was for them. I think that is our most um, uh, special and endearing quality, uh, and I think that's something we've got to embrace. Our public policy uh, has to reflect that, and certainly leadership needs to understand that. Um, I'll say on one side, it's the spirit of peace, reconciliation, and people coming together around very difficult um, issues dating way back. Um, and then when I look forward, I think it's the spirit of innovation um, that is bubbling up here. We're really uh, doing some quite innovative things in our city across all platforms, uh, for sure in the built environment. But if we could apply both of those to people, in our city who are most in the margins, because I think we've been great at building buildings, but not so good at building people. So we have an opportunity to use all that we have to really live up to our greatest potential that we talk about, that we share with the world, but we're not happy with really on the inside. Say the passion and pride of our respective communities. We have communities that are just fiercely proud of who they are and what we are. But I think the biggest challenge is making us care outside of our respective communities. And so it's not enough if you are passionate about Inman Park and you don't care about what's happening in Adair Park because it's all a puzzle. And so I think the biggest challenge will be just giving us all a reason uh, to care because we rise and fall with each other. I would say the greatest strength we have is the engagement of the people in the city of Atlanta. Uh, in things around their neighborhoods and around the city. And the spirit and the engagement of people across a whole range of topics. And what we need to do with that is we need to focus it on education as part of our future. I want to be the, known as the education mayor. I'm willing to bet, frankly, having a second term as mayor on helping and partnering with the Atlanta public school system. I know it's a, a bit maybe off topic for this venue, but. But really, what makes us special as a city are the people in the city, but it's the families and it's the children. And right now, in many ways, we're not doing enough. I would talk about early childhood development in particular, birth to age three. We have to invest more. That has to be part of our future vision. John? I think that what got Atlanta to where it is today is, is people, uh, is spirit. But I do believe that we need to be honest. Uh, as I've gone through the city, uh, we're not as integrated uh, as we need to be and should be. It is a city that is divided in some respects along racial, uh, ethnic, and definitely income lines. There is a degree of um, disenchantment uh, that some people experience here in terms of the delivery of services. So I think that one thing that I would like to bring is a more cohesive, unified community <coughs> and a sense of hope. And I think that that's what's going to be required for us to be the great city that we can be uh, in the future. I'm back to the built environment. I think our city, it is the neighborhoods. It is the neighborhood commercial districts. 
that are all sprinkled, whether it's Little Five Points, whether it's Virginia Highland, whether it's Cascade Heights, whether it's Lakewood Heights. We've got an amazing built environment in this city that people are close to commercial areas, except for the very western part, which is suburban, as Keisha and others have talked about, where you've got the real ranch um, suburban area, because uh, the city limits, of course, go all the way outside 285 on the western side. But we have 232, 42 traditional neighborhoods. We have another 50 or so high-rise neighborhoods. Um, you have a building that has three or 400 um, apartments or condos in it. And we need to be very thoughtful about how we redevelop this city, how we welcome the new people into this city, and protect the green canopy, protect the city of neighborhoods that we are because that's, that is what people care about. They care about the whole city, but they really care when it matters to them. And a mayor and an administration has to be very thoughtful and helpful in bringing the services and the knowledge so people know where, what our city is all across the city. And in too many instances, people don't have a good understanding of what else is out there. Well, will you join me in applauding each and every one of you? Also, one more round of applause for the whole panel, plus our moderator. She did a yeah, great job. So I'm David Sutherland. I'm the Executive Director for AI Atlanta and AI Georgia. I want to thank all of you all for being here tonight. I've been asked to tell the panel, please stay seated so we get our last comments and then stick around for a group picture. So okay. don't, don't us fall out the door right away. Um, I'd also like to thank, again, our patron sponsors for AI, which are on the board back here, and also the sponsors for this evening's event. Um, I think it's been really wonderful. Um, thank them if you see them on the way out. Uh, thank you for making the event happen. Uh, I also want to say that it's really interesting to me tonight that we train our architects to think about how things are all connected. Uh, sometimes we forget that in the way we're trained to do things in our community and think in silos. But one of the things I was excited about tonight is the sheer diversity of people and organizations that are here tonight. And I actually wrote down everyone I talked to, and I'm sure I'm going to miss some, but we have PEDS here tonight, the Atlanta Bicycle Coalition, South Face Energy Institute. SCAD, the National Organization of Minority Architects, the Beltline, the U.S. Green Building Council, and Park Pride, I'm sure half a dozen others I didn't know. Um, let's all try to remember that all the issues are connected and uh, not to face, face things in silos and do work all, all on our own. So thank you all for being here tonight. Give yourselves a round of applause for being here. And finally, I'd like to thank, again, our Vision for Atlanta committee who put this together. Melody Harkleroad, Robin Maxim, Chris Ua, and Krista Dumkrieger. So thanks to them. <laughs> and then finally, I'm going to bring uh, Robin and Melody back up for final comments. Everybody, please be safe when you go home tonight. And again, thanks for being here. Melody? Thank you so much, David. And, and uh, as David said, that we are so there are, we have so many common, you know, interests, and uh, and even though we, you know, have our own, um, I would say, things that we care about. I think the the heart of what we want is a better Atlanta, 
And to know, I, I feel really assured, you know, uh, tonight through the panel discussion tonight that we are in good hands. We have people that really do care about not just the built environment, but the people and the stakeholders here in the built environment. So thank you so much, Maria, and the panelists for joining us for Vision for Atlanta. And I want to give you right here a gift for doing your homework and just bringing such great provocative questions to our, all the panelists, okay? <laughs> they were different. <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh, I feel like I, I, I'm like a beauty queen now. I <laughs> know, <laughs> yeah. For each of you, I have something for each of you to remember us by for 50 years. So remember that. 50 years is in this little box. Oh, okay. and good night to all. Thank you. Thank you.